Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Aiko. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you. Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time! What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir! Ain't we just? Dear Mum, Yorkshire is lovely, not like you said at all. They can smile, and they do sell my pasta sauce. The caravan bed is quite short, but Chris is a sensitive lover. Oh, God, sir. I cannot endure my lady tongue. There is a kind of merry war between Signor Benedict and her. They never meet, but there's a skirmish of wit between them. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and we are joined by friends of the show. They pretty much they they are they appear on the show so much, and we talk about them constantly that essentially we should just rename the show. Or at least, you know how lawyers when they have like a uh, like a law firm and you get new partners and you just add it so it's like uh wine it's like weinberg uh, stone and adelston and you get a new partner that comes in and you add their name to it anyway my long rant is to to say we've got fan, you know friends of the show back on the show and i'm i can't wait to introduce them but i will stop rambling and i'll let my producer introduce himself as well yeah hi i'm producer dave and um on with the show there you go <laughs> Uh, concise as always so my rambling a few minutes ago a few seconds ago was because we're introducing or reintroducing our friends who have brought their friend onto the show so first of all please tell us your names and we're talking to the filmmakers tell us your name and introduce us to your friend who you're bringing to our show today hello so yeah shakespeare sisters back again hillary and anna and love to be back and we brought um, Emma Beth Jones with us, who is the star of our new film, Much Do. Very uh, welcome, Emma Jones. Emma Jones, thank, thank you for joining the show. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Yes. Yeah, so we, 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 we love the Shakespeare sisters. We have them on constantly because uh, we are their biggest, well, I say we, well, we, are, we are, we are, we are their biggest uh, cheerleaders, um, me in size as well. Uh, we basically are huge fans of the Shakespeare sisters with the work they've done from Soundtrack to 16 and watching this new film that they're now coming out and promoting, which you are the lead of the film. So we will talk about that in a few minutes. We'll jump into it. But I want to ask as a ritual that I used to do a long time ago, we used to do a long time ago when we were back in the studio. We haven't done it in a long time. So I'm just going to throw you into the deep end. 
and I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite coming of age movie? Ooh. Off the top of your head, what comes to mind? Okay, the first one that came to my mind just then was a movie called Stand By Me. Oh, okay, Stand By Me, uh, the Rob Reiner film, right? With um... is, yeah, 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 that's the one. That's the um, classic. Yeah, I absolutely love that film. Obviously, it doesn't relate to me so much because it's about four boys, but I just love the story so much. Um, love the characters. Yeah, I just think it's amazing. Hey, I, I think finding a dead body in the woods is a universal experience. So it's it's, it's I know I've been there. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the least said about it, the better. Uh, let me throw back to uh, to Shakespeare Sisters. What about yourselves? Just as a quick refresher, what is your favorite coming of age movie? Whoever wants to start it first, Hillary or Anna Elizabeth, tell us what's your favorite coming of age movie. I was going to say I don't know. It's very hard, but the one that first came to mind is Eighth Grade. Because I yeah, guess, I was actually going to say the oh, same. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say uh, I also recently watched um, The Spectacular Now, which was, you know, really great. So um, I'll say that one and you say it's great. And then I got two. I like eighth, I, I like eighth grade. That's uh, Bo Burnham, right? That's his uh, his debut. Um, Spectacular yeah. Now. I remember, the, I remember the name, but I can't recall it. Who made Spectacular Now? Hmm, I don't remember. It's based on a book, which we were kind of getting into because we keep reading like reading books and watching the films to try and like, you know, kind of get ourselves in the zone for adaptation. And Hillary just read the book as well. That's why you're suggesting it. Mm. Yeah, we're going, to be, we're going to be talking about a lot of your, your, your you know, we'll talk about your adaptations in a few minutes. We'll talk more about the future projects as well. But we're going to just do really quickly, just give a quick uh, shout out to the people that we're going to be coming having on the show. So you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And as you've heard, we have uh, friends of ours, uh, the, uh, the Shakespeare sisters, Hillary and Anne Elizabeth, and they've brought with them uh, uh, Emma Beth Jones uh, because of the film that they're promoting at the moment, which is Much Ado. So we'll talk about them in just a few minutes. After their interview, we're going to be talking with producers who've worked with them as well. We're going to have Dom Lenoir coming on the show. Uh, he's going to be talking about a project that he's working on as well with Connor Buru, also people who popped up on the show, which is When the Screaming Starts. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So we'll just might as well just jump into film and TV news. I mentioned a few seconds ago, Anne Elizabeth and Hilary Shakespeare are on our show today talking about their new film. So let's go to them first. In case this is the first time you're joining our show and you haven't switched off because of my ramblings, uh, let's go to the Shakespeare sisters. Tell us what is this new film that you are promoting at the moment called Much Ado? So um, Much Ado is a Shakespeare adaptation. Um, so it's based on the play Much Ado About Nothing. Um, but it's kind of like a teen take on it. So we've kept the original dialogue, but the cast are all young and they're basically at university age. So we've set it in a world where um, this kind of team of university rugby boys comes to stay with um, Hero and Beatrice, who are main characters. Um, and basically all these love triangles ensue and um, they're all kind of trapped in the house together and it kind of drives things a bit crazy so um Beatrice is there with her ex who she hates so yeah. <laughs> it's a good start always a good recipe 
And, so, and, and uh, as uh, Annie, you said, you mentioned that Emma Jones was with us today. You played Beatrice. So uh, what was it like stepping into a role that, in, in my own opinion, I mean, my favorite, this is my favorite Shakespearean play of all time. I, I, I love his other work. Taming of, Taming of the Shrew is my second favorite, but Much Ado is my number one favorite. And I think it's because of Kenneth Branagh's adaptation. So you now stepped in, in, in the role played by uh, Emma Thompson. What what would it, what did it feel like where you were then cast to fill that role, but in a sort of different paradigm where you're a teenager playing that that character Beatrice? Um, it was honestly like a dream come true. I remember getting that email telling me that I'd got the part, and I'd like almost burst into tears. I was walking home from work, and I got it, and I was it was just so exciting. Um, much is one of my favorites as well, and Beatrice, I think, yeah, I'm gonna say hands down is like my favorite Shakespearean character. So it's, it's a pretty dream role to come from drama school and like focus so heavily on Shakespeare. And then for my first like big role out of drama school was to play Beatrice and Much Ado, like feature film. I mean, it's pretty, it was, it was amazing, basically. So for people who are not, who either have never heard of the play before um, or they've never read the text or they don't really know much about the character, haven't seen the film. Tell us from your perspective, what Beatrice is like, what, what are her motivations, where's her headspace at? Beatrice, I kind of, I, I identify quite closely to Beatrice. I think she's quite, um, she's quite headstrong. She's quite, and now I'm going to sound like I'm boasting about myself, but she's quite witty and quite quick. She's got, she's got a lot going for her. She's got a great backbone and she doesn't really take any Excuse me. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Is that okay? Am I? Uh, tech, do you know what? It makes me laugh because it means producer Dave has to now bleep out all the swear words. Oh, I'm so, so feel sorry, free to Dave. go. Feel free to go crazy, okay? Because <laughs> I'm blinding all over the show. Exactly. I'll enjoy the <laughs> symphony of, of 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 noise that producer Dave <laughs> has to use to to bleep it out. So try and spread it out as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I just she's she's really cool and. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think she's she's quite. I think it's quite an incredible character for having been written obviously so long ago that she's just such a cool and incredibly strong woman that just doesn't. Yeah, like I say, doesn't put up with from boys. Even though she sort of likes this boy, she's like, no, 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 I'm not going to take it. I don't know. I, I just think she's pretty cool, basically. Excellent. I will come back to you about uh, with uh, more of your take on Beatrice and some of the other characters as well. Uh, and yes, I, I, I do agree. Apart from, uh, obviously, like I mentioned, Taming of the Shrew, female characters, Beatrice is one of my favorite Shakespearean um, uh, female characters. But let me go to, back to the Shakespeare sisters. Um, so why did you pick this one in particular to adapt? We've kind of always um, been obsessed with it since we were little, actually, because like, we used to be really uh, into Shakespeare as children, and maybe it's partly because of our second name, but also um, we lived in the Barbican and the RSC, like always did there, um, like big um, plays the Barbican. So, um, so all of my childhood, like I was going to Shakespeare plays, and I remember when I saw Much Ado for the first time, I was like, I was pretty little, I was like 10 or something, and I made my parents take me back like five times because I was like so obsessed. Um, and then I think I was just like being like, can my grandma take me maybe? <laughs> you <laughs> but, haven't seen this play yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like, uh, I, yeah, I just got really into it. And I think like, um, oh, sorry. 
I've got distracted now because I was. Don't, <laughs> don't worry at all. Don't worry at all. I figured you could cut it out. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so we got really into it. And I think we then we got the video of the Kenneth Branagh version. We used to watch it like every day. So we just were like, we knew it really well as well, which helped because I think we knew all of the text basically off by heart by the time we were making it. Um, so yeah, we were kind of always like, one day we'll make much to do. And then when we were trying to pick a film to make, we were like, today's the day. Yeah. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are joined by Hilary and Anne Elizabeth Shakespeare, as well as Anne, uh, sorry, Emma Beth Jones. I keep calling you Anne, Anne Beth Jones. Emma <laughs> Beth Jones, uh, who are here to promote their adaptation of William Shakespeare's Much To Do About Nothing, and their film is Much Ado. Now, you mentioned earlier that you've, uh, you've although you've kept the Shakespearean dialogue, you've relocated the setting, you've changed the setting so that it is, uh, it, it is a university uh, rugby team coming to stay at a friend's house. So give us a little bit more, and I'm talking to Shakespeare sisters, give us a little bit more of a, of a description as to this new setting that we find ourselves in. So it's, it's the countryside, so we're actually set in Suffolk. And it's like, I guess with every much do, it's very like enclosed space, enclosed world, because other than going to the church um, and we do see some of the countryside and their surroundings, but it's a very cut off world. Like they're really, you know, that you only see them interact with people basically who live in the house other than the friar. So it kind of has its own little sheltered bubble and these characters, um, yeah, they all end up trapped in this house together. And then, you know, you see them have this house party and then, um, Hero and Claudia get engaged and that's kind of what keeps these two groups together quite uncomfortably really because uh, as you said like Beatrice and Benedict having been exes really don't want to be in each other's company but they keep being forced back together and so we kind of follow them and in, until something terrible happens which we won't give away unless you've seen the play um, and yeah that's basically where we where we get to. I think in modernizing it as well it was kind of like because we used all the original dialogue, it was just kind of a matter of like interpreting like how, I mean, it's not really set in like the real world. We've kind of set it in, I think, like a slightly, I don't know, fantasy world, because obviously everyone's still speaking Shakespeare and it's got that kind of like otherworldly vibe to it because it's not realistic, but it's like trying to take that and like interpret how it would be in the present day. So yeah, without actually changing the dialogue, it's like trying to ad adapt it, but like very much within just interpretation. And you've done, you've done a good job with it because of the way you've sort of uh, transposed what happened in the, in the play. Because in the play, was, obviously, they're returning back from war um, and they, they're all the soldiers. And you have the, the traitor that is brought in, who's the cousin of Don, Don uh, the, the, not the lead character, but he's brought in as well. And you have it set where it's actually rugby teams that are you know, coming back from a game and they're obviously bringing back people from the other team. And it's a very nice way of actually being able to sort of transpose those characters and their roles and their motivations and pulling it in. Even though, yes, you're right, uh, when you know a modern audience are watching it, uh, they, they might be pulled out by the Shakespearean language. It's still a, a conceit that everyone understands what it is. It's a Shakespearean play, you're keeping the dialogue, but you're setting it in modern times. Emma, I want to jump to you. Uh, how do you feel coming straight from drama school or coming from drama school, having the opportunity to perform a Shakespearean play like this in Shakespearean language, but in a modern setting? Um, I mean, it was pretty exciting because, like I say, at drama school, we focused really quite heavily on Shakespeare and we spent a month at the Globe 
Um, and then we also, when we went back, so I went to Royal Conservatory of Scotland. So when we went back to Glasgow after our month in London, we then did another Shakespeare play, having, you know, having learned everything we'd learned at the Globe for that month intensive, we then took that. So then it just kind of felt like another building block sort of thing. So, you know, we started quite small and with the text and just like very specific and um, detailed. And then obviously, then you go to the performance and that's obviously quite big. So there's obviously this like huge scope, but because I've only done it on stages before, I've never done it on screen. It was then bringing it back. So taking it from performing to, you know, a large auditorium and then sort of, I don't want to say making it less like subtle because then I, I don't know, or more subtle, I should say, it was just, it was interesting to find sort of like nuances and bits of the text and, and, and performing it, but finding it, like making it smaller without making it smaller. Does that make sense? Sort of like bringing it, it makes down. Absolute, it makes absolute sense. Yeah, because um, Shakespearean plays obviously were really designed to be, uh, to be big, right? Because you're performing mm -hmm. it on stage. So a lot of the asides, for example, are where the, the actor is performing to the audience and even the jokes as well is supposed to be big and, you know, uh, and yeah. overexposed. However, now that you're setting it in a movie, because it's a smaller, more intimate setting, it's difficult for you to be able to be loud and be, yeah. you know, because you're not you're playing against the camera, but you don't want to break that fourth wall. Whereas on stage, you could do that and it's not a problem. So I can see how, now, and that was, I was going to ask that question in particular, what did you use as your method to overcome that difficulty of being able to convert it from a stage play to something that you would keep within the, you know, the four walls of a screen? Um, I think just being in it with the other actor. I think that, I mean, that's always what it comes down to because instead of performing it out, like I said, to an auditorium or to like hundreds of people, whatever it might be, it was just, it's just me and this other person. So say it was a Beatrice and Benedict scene. Um, it was really nice to instead sort of perform out to like just to focus in and just make it about the two of us and our two characters and our dialogue and our, world basically um it was actually really really nice to bring it down like that um and also because it's filmed it's you get to go and go and go and go so if you're like oh didn't love that one or missed didn't, didn't feel that you, you can keep going until you've like you feel like you've got it which obviously you can't do on stage which makes stage so exciting but it's nice to have that um opportunity to keep going and keep exploring and uh, coming to the Shakespeare sisters, uh, obviously, uh, this is it's not easy at this point to be able to cast people who would be able to deliver Shakespearean dialogue in such a, a strange setting. Uh, what was your process when you were going to cast your actors for this movie? We held like pretty wide audition, like we advertised on like casting sites like Mandy and stuff like that. And and then like literally like hundreds of people applied. So we just, we had to kind of like do quite a quick sift through of like who kind of like generally seemed like they were the right kind of age range, just look generally the part. And then, um, and then we auditioned like so many people as well. Like we were doing it for a couple of weeks straight, like full days of auditioning. <laughs> and I think that really helped like know though, because I remember we, we were like so exhausted all the time in all of those auditions. And then when someone came in and you didn't feel tired. I think that's when you knew something was working. Because I remember feeling that, especially with you, Emma, because like 
Emma came on one of the days we were like most exhausted, like you were first in the morning and we'd like dragged ourselves out of bed. And I remember almost like apologizing to you from the door, being like, I'm sorry, we're so, so tired. <laughs> and then, but it didn't feel like it as soon as you started, I felt like suddenly we had loads of energy because you just like the excitement of feeling like I could see Beatrice. And I think like that actually kind of being that tired made it really obvious when things were right. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iaco. And we've lost producer Dave. <laughs> and I'm producer Dave, who was having trouble getting off the mute. <laughs> and we have with us the Shakespeare sisters and Emma Beth Jones, who are here promoting their new film, Much Ado, which is an adaptation of the William Shakespeare play, Much Ado About Nothing. Um, Shakespeare sisters, where can people find this movie? Because uh, it's currently doing the festival run, is that correct? Yeah, yeah so, um, <laughs> so yeah, our UK premiere, like the first time it's going to be on the big screen is the uh, 1st of April at the London Independent Film Festival. Um, and yeah, we're really excited because we're the opening night gala. So it's going to be a big one. Yeah. Um, and also shout out to, um, you were talking about when the screening starts. So that's closing the same festival. So um, that's we'll really nice there. to have, yeah, to have <laughs> Everyone should come down. Well. Genesis Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> what's been the buzz that you've had so far um, with the with with this? People who've seen the film, what is the what what? In fact, here's the question I want to ask: What is the most uh, the 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 weirdest response you've received about this film from audiences that have watched it? Well, because we're right, we're just at the start. We really haven't had many responses from audiences yet. Because um, I mean, we were at the Paris International Film Festival, but that was only in France because um, we were like geoblocked. So. Um, so we haven't really had the opportunity to talk to that many people that have seen it yet. So yeah, it's it is very the, early days. It's going to be the first time watching it with the audience and that that will be, um, yeah, a thrilling but scary experience. Um, and also like the first time a lot of the cast have seen it. So it's going to be quite an intense one. And, and Emma, I want to ask you, what has been the weirdest experience that you've had working with the Shakespeare sisters? <laughs> ah, so many. No, I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I don't know if there are any weird ones. Were there? Oh, I, I mean, oh no, but then I don't want to give anything away. It, it's, it's okay. The movie's wrapped. They can't fire you. It's already in the <laughs> film, so you can say whatever it is you want to say. Um, I mean, there's a there was a there was a night shoot where I mean, it's not it's not that weird, but like there was it's a great image in my head that I will have forever of Hillary holding one of the actors um, out in some water. That's all I'll say, but for like quite some time, and it's just like cradling like a little baby, and like oh, just wow. the mother, and it was I, just like I, a great image, and yeah, I mean, great commitment to the directorial role. So kudos to you. I was going to ask, do you want us to get producer Dave to prepare to bleep out what you were about to say? But it seems it, it was it was safe, right? It was. Safe Is that okay? Did I give anything away? No, I was worried. Say, I, think, I think it's fine. To get yeah, I, mean, I think it's in the trailer actually. So. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Okay, we're good. We're good. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll just give a tiny bit of context because there's this <laughs> bit where a hero like runs out into the lake. Um, well, she's kind of well, sorry, Beatrice runs into a lake to rescue hero. Um, but poor Jodie, who plays Hero, was like in the in the pond, kind of 
waiting for the shot to get going when it suddenly started raining and she was like freezing in there. So we were all trying to like cuddle her with hot water bottles and keep her warm. So <laughs> that was That's quite acting, darling. That's acting. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So Shakespeare Sisters, what is next for you after Much Ado? What, what you, know, you were talking about some adaptations that you were working on. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about those projects that you're working on? Um, yeah, so we're going to start shooting again for The Unreason in April, so that's quite exciting. Um, so it's been a busy month, and um, yeah, and then Upside of Unrequited we're still working on the script for, so yeah, that's all, it's all coming together. Fantastic, and as soon as you get that, if, and what I would like to ask, and I, you know, I always use this opportunity to always ask whenever I can, when you start shooting in April, producer Dave would very much like to come on set to come and watch how you work and how you make, you know, you make a film. He would love to be invited to come on set. I see, see me, I've been on sets before, so I so I know, but I'd have to escort him obviously. So, you know, the invitation would be for the both of us to come on set and just watch how things are going and possibly, you know. Yeah, I'm happy to, happy to put in work. I, I'll, I'll, hold, I'll hold a boom. Uh, as long as you have producer Dave as a, you know, as an extra in the background. Just walking in and picking up some stuff and walking yes, out and just yelling at him not to look at the camera. That would be fine. <laughs> Pretty safe. Are you okay with that? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, Shakespeare Sisters, uh, Emma Beth Jones, we want to thank you very much for coming on the show to talk about your film, Much Ado, which is at the uh, London uh, London International Film Festival. Did I get that right? London Independent London. Film Festival. London Independent Film Festival on the 1st of April, Genesis Cinema. Is that correct? Yeah. Fantastic. So before this, when the show goes out, we're going to put uh, links on the show notes so that people can go and check out that film. Uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic piece of work. I had the uh, honor and pleasure. Thank you very much for letting me watch this film. Before we go, before we go, Emma Beth yeah. Jones, um, would you like to tell us what you've got lined up for the future? Sure. Um, so I have got a lot, well, I obviously still act very much, but I also write a lot. And so um, I was recently in Sweden, actually, this past weekend, because my writing partner lives there. We met at drama school and we write comedy sketch um, material and we've written a pilot episode and we're trying to get that off the ground. And it's I don't want to say anything, but it's looking quite promising. So we're exciting. We're excited about that. Um, obviously, we're starring it as well. Is that for stage? Uh, no, for screen. So TV, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. When you get it done, please come back on the show. We will welcome back anytime to come and talk about your project. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we've just moved from one set of our favorite guests to we're moving to another set of our favorite guests. Uh, we've been talking about this film for quite a while. It was producer Dave's uh, virgin experience on a film set, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, he's he's got the film set bug. Uh, from that moment, and watched <laughs> every single film set and cause havoc. Uh, of course, I'm talking about these filmmakers who are going to introduce themselves and the name of their film that they're talking about. Let's go to the director first, and the director will introduce the producer. So, take it away. Hey guys, good to be back. So, my name's Connor Brew, and I'm the director of When the Screamer Starts. And I am Domino Noir, and I'm a producer on When the Screaming Starts. And I can confirm that the bug he caught on set was only enthusiasm and not COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was before COVID when you guys first came on set, I believe. That was just before it all kicked off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Simpler Different times. 
So Connor, for people who haven't heard uh, our episodes before and heard you on the show, tell us what the film When the Screaming Starts is all about. Uh, it's been a little while since I've had to do this, Marcus. So, you know, the pitch might be a little a little rusty. But um, like a winter football starts... pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Dom. Much appreciated, mate. Um, so when the screamer starts is about an aspiring serial killer, an aspiring serial killer, a murderous cult and the documentary filmmaker that's following them on their blood soaked quest for infamy. And this, who wrote this script? So I co-wrote the script with Ed Hartland, who is also playing the lead actor, Ada Mendel. Yes, so so and we've we've talked about this a number of numerous uh, occasions where we said there was we talked about some of the influences uh, because as it's it's sort of a it's not a mockumentary because it's following this. Would you would you consider it a mockumentary style of uh, of film? Yes, yeah, so absolutely, it's it's certainly a mockumentary. Um, I think I've probably mentioned this on the show before, but we were, of course, inspired by those that came before us, the likes of The Office, etc. But, um, you know, we've tried to give it a bit of a cinematic flair as well, maybe a little bit more in line with what we do in The Shadows, for example. So, yeah, whilst it's very much a mockumentary, we haven't held back with the sort of cinematic quality of the film. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, the uh, writer as well is actually one of the main characters. Ed Hartland actually plays, you see him in front, so he's sort of, um, if I remember correctly, when you mentioned it, you said more of a Louis Theroux type character. Is that still the same, is that the same, still the same sort of feel where he's actually, uh, the documentarian is actually on camera as opposed to the other mockumentary style where it seems like they just fly on the wall in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. So Jared Rogers actually plays our, pound shop version of Louis Theroux, as he likes to call it. Um, and Ed Hartland's playing the aspiring serial killer. It's, it's very much a relationship between these two characters. And um, I'd almost call them co-leads within the film. Yeah, and we've been following the success. Dom, um, I've listened to you on uh, the Filmmakers podcast, which it's one of those ones where I like to yell at and basically scream and cheer for because they are, if you haven't listened to uh, Giles Olsen and Dom Lenoir on the Filmmakers podcast, I don't know what you're doing. Go and check it out. It's a great podcast. Um, I've heard you on that. And you've come into our show and you've talked about how you got involved in this project. But again, for people who are just listening to this for the first time, tell us how you got involved with Connor on uh, when the screaming starts well i think it's i think it sort of comes down to to networking and you know building relationships with people over time and also getting in i mean from a, from a perspective of how i got involved in the project it's it's a great example of how you know throwing yourself into into learning and you know hearing from other filmmakers and meeting other people is a great way to actually then get those people to produce your films because uh, I, I met Connor, he came on a film course that I was sort of co-running, uh, you know, several years ago after I'd done my first feature and he was interested in doing his. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people would just sort of come out and they'd say, oh, can you produce my feature film for me? And, you know, a lot of the time it doesn't fit because you've got your own projects, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's always very difficult for a producer to take on other projects, but Connor didn't do that. He was very, he was very smart. He kept in contact. He asked advice for things. He fed me, which is always a, is always a very good way to get my time <laughs> and attention. Um, and he, he sort of, he run, he run different ideas that weren't sort of too, too difficult to commit to and different, you know, projects that sort of came, came by. 
And um, this one came along and, and you know, I could see the script was a really good script. It was very original. It was, it's not my sort of go-to genre, but it's actually changed my perspective of, of horror and uh, it put it in a very positive light. It was a really interesting uh, idea and the way it was done. And, um, you know, the, the project and the team kind of started as advice. And as I got more and more involved in, in helping out, it sort of naturally developed into producing. So I think it's a good, a good example of... Um, how to sort of put together projects bit by bit in a, in a way that makes sense. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we're speaking with the filmmakers behind the mockumentary uh, When the Screaming Starts, Connor Buru, the director, and Dom Lenoir, uh, the producer. So, uh, Connor, I want to jump to you with regards to, uh, again, going back into the style uh, and uh, sort of influences of uh, when the screaming starts. So from the plot line about serial killers and the mockumentary, and obviously it's it's got it's got a and what we've experienced while we're on set, there's a comedic feel to it, but also dealing about something that's horrific. You know, serial killers uh, getting together kind of springs to mind uh, other projects like Sightseers and uh, uh, Serial Killers Guide to Life. From your experience as the director, how do you manage to balance horror and comedy? to work together uh, because one of the problems that people tend to say with regards to horror, horror obviously is tension and uh, comedy is the release of tension, right? So how do you then make those two work together in a project like this? Well, this was certainly a case of, of learning on the job. I mean, this was my first horror comedy. Um, I'd never really been involved in the horror genre at all, to be honest. I'd done some dark comedies before, but, but nothing quite like this. Um, and it was also my first feature. So that in itself was, was an experience, something I had to learn about on the job. How do you sustain a story for that long and, and have those shifts? Because in a short film, you may have a few shifts, but of, of course it's over a much shorter period of time. So learning how to sustain that. You know, I felt like we were in a privileged position because we did get to shoot a block, first and foremost, of about 12 days. And that was the core of the film. We then edited it all during lockdown, came back, reevaluated certain things. And there were moments where we felt like, you know, we need to add a bit more tension here or we need to go in a bit harder with the comedy. So I, I did have that sort of hindsight, which I could then learn from and adapt and, and, and rejig the script a little bit. I think a mockumentary does give you that freedom a little bit more than certain stories. Um, but trying to balance the tone was always a big challenge and it was always at the forefront of our minds. Um, Myself and Ed at the script stage were discussing that all the time. On set, we were also keeping that in mind. And, you know, certain lines on the, in the script, they would work really well. and we think they'd be funny, but then you'd get on set and tonally it just felt off. You know, the moment felt too dark to include that line. So it was very much a case of letting the film gain its own momentum and almost letting it guide us where it wanted to go. And there were scenes that shocked me and were a lot darker than I thought. There were scenes I thought would be darker, but were actually quite funny. So, yeah, I think it just kind of grew. And, and uh, you know, with a talented cast and crew, it kind of formed a life of its own. And Dom, as obviously Connor just said, this is his first feature film. But you, as you're a director as well as a writer and a producer, you came on board this project as a producer. But obviously you had at the back of your mind the vision of a director. Uh, did you influence the way the project was shaped because of your own experience with previous projects? 
uh, or did you more did you apply more of a, a hands off approach and let Connor and the uh, the creative team do their thing, and then you handle the production side of things? I think in a, in a sense, I think I try to be more hands off when I'm not directing. Um, I think one of the main things I tend to bring to stuff that I produce is, I mean, I suppose story is very important from a script point of view. But in this case, on this project, the script was in pretty good shape and there wasn't any sort of major plot holes or or issues. I did I did mention a few things. I, I suppose I was most creatively hands-on actually in the, you know, the kind of editing stage between the, the initial shoot and the pickups. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, uh, that some of those uh, those thoughts maybe uh, made their way through. But in terms of being on set, I, I, I tend to just try and bring, I suppose, a calmness that you have from having been through the whole experience. And you, you kind of know when, when you when you're doing it for the first time, it, it's, it's you know very overwhelming, um, you know, whether you're going to make the days and whether this is going to work or whether you're doing a big set piece. And. I think it's important to just bring that kind of knowledge of having been through it, if, if anything does flag up and, and being able to sort of navigate that. You know, Connor seemed pretty in control of, of the creative decisions. And I think, you know, uh, Ed and Jared and, and some of the core, core team had, had very good ideas as well. There was a lot of improvisation. Um, the editor had been working closely with Connor as well. So I didn't really want to be providing too much uh, extra creative decisions and I didn't really need to in that sense. But I think um, I think you've got to learn, you know, when when you have an ear, when someone needs your help um, and also when to sort of uh, stick back. And, and I just tried to sort of place in things that would enhance the project, you know, different crew or cast or um not cast so much in this one, but I suppose in in the the post production phase, I, I did a lot a lot more. I think you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. and I'm producer Dave, and we're here with the filmmakers behind When the Screaming Starts, Connor Buru and Dom Lenoir. Now we've been here, obviously, we've been keeping in touch with you over the last few, I guess, now years uh, on the project. Okay. And then, yeah, it seems like it. It seems like ages ago when it, I uh, I was actually in svelte shape when we lost uh, when we first started the project, and now I'm the size of a plum. Uh, but that's beside the point. Um, but from what we've been hearing so far, the project has uh, after post production you started hitting the festival circuit, and you were pretty much crushing everywhere you went. Dumb, mm. please tell us um, t- tell us the journey that it took through the festival circuit. So I think it, it started off very much in the horror territory. Uh, that that seemed to be in the festival sense, who really responded well to the the film, um, and we premiered at Fright Fest, which is a you know massive horror festival internationally. We had some amazing festivals in Europe, um, in Ireland. We we screened at the Irish Film Institute in America. We had Telluride Horror Show and Film Quest, both big genre festivals uh, in the USA. And it, it did that kind of initial round of festival um, on the horror space and, and Grim Fest in Manchester. And it was very well received from the horror fans, but we were also noticing that the, the comedy really was shining through and people that weren't even necessarily that open-minded to, to comedy were really laughing at those festivals. So I think now that we've hit most of the big horror festivals, now we're kind of moving into 
more independent film festivals and kind of reflecting on the other side of the film, which is it's kind of its own mockumentary genre piece that kind of ticks a few different boxes. Um, and so now we're at the London Independent Film Festival, which uh, we've got the closing night spot, which is which is fantastic. Um, so we're kind of coming back to London and the film is having like a second life on its festival run, really. And Connor, having seen that sort of success with the horror, the horror genre, and obviously now that you're moving it more into the independent side of things, um, do you feel that this is a genre that you might return to, either horror or comedy? As you said, it's not what you used to do before. Uh, from that success, do you feel it's something that you might want to go and try and replicate and do again for your next project? 100%. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say no. I think it, I'd have to take each project on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, we've got a few projects, uh, you know, I've got a few with different members of the same team. And, um, you know, we have everything from straight up horrors to straight up comedies, you know, and, and everything in between. So right now it's just a case of, of developing these projects, getting them to a place they need to be. And then, you know, seeing which one gains the most momentum. I, I very much listen to the rest of the team as well. Um, you just know it's, you know, there's been projects as Dom alluded to earlier. There's been projects I've pitched or, or you know, shopped around and they haven't really caught, caught you know, any, any sort of uh, momentum or buzz. It just kind of, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, keep me updated. And then other projects, you, you reach out to people and, you know, it sparks something. And it's sort of like a magnet and it starts to attract the right people to the project. So that's kind of the phase I'm at right now. But absolutely, I would, um, I would absolutely love to direct another comedy dark comedy horror comedy in the future and as you said this was your first feature this is your directorial debut what was the what one thing really surprised you when you went in think something that you never expected was going to be the case but it actually happened or it was what took you by surprise being your first uh your first directing opportunity <laughs> i think it'd have to be covid19 to be honest that just came <laughs> and pulled the rug from from under all of us uh not not the meteoric yeah. rise of richard the stuffed cat no that caught dom <laughs> off guard he's certainly formed a strange relationship with a prop <laughs> from the film called richard hang on, the hang on. cat oh, no. is, is dom gonna go is dom gonna go get the cat he kept the cat he has yes oh my dom's <laughs> formed a strange relationship with that cat over the last two years he brings him everywhere I think he's got his own Instagram account at this hey, stage. That uh, that cat's been to Poland. He's been to London. He's been to Manchester. He's uh, he's had a great trip. You should keep a video diary of it and release that as its own as its own separate movie. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, and, and Dom, coming to you as uh, obviously you, this is not your first project. You've worked a number of projects, but obviously, as Connor mentioned, COVID was such a huge impact on every aspect of of life. And as a producer who was basically who's worked both on the um, both pre and post COVID, uh, what changed massively in your approach to filmmaking because of that seismic shift in our in our universe? Well, I think I think in this film, it I'm not going to say it was it was easier, um, but I think because we had the momentum of having already shot most of the movie, doing the pickups, everyone was already very much on side. Uh, and the timing kind of worked out to the point where we weren't in that tentative phase where people were really unsure about, you know, jumping back in. 
we were in the, the phase where people were sort of semi unsure, but some people were starting to go back onto set and there were kind of practices emerging. And really, it was just a case of keeping on um, keeping on the pulse of what the COVID safety thing was. Uh, Ed worked uh, in, in a care home as well. Um, so he has a very good understanding of hygiene and uh, sanitizing already. And um, it was just a case of being like very, very aware and, and very carefully planned um, in terms of, you know, mask wearing, keeping the crew to a minimum, um, you know, ventilation and all, all these kind of things. And, um, you know, the, the pickup shoots actually went very seamlessly and, and COVID wasn't really too much of an issue. But I think that's because we 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 have been working so closely with the core team. Um, so it, it is much easier than trying to get something new off the ground. Uh, but I think that landscape is changing now. And I think people are definitely adapted to working with COVID um, now. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm producer Dave. And we will come back to talk about uh, uh, when the screaming starts uh, how it wraps up the London International Film Festival, which I believe it's it's on the last night, so it's the 10th of April, 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but we will come back to talk about that. Uh, Dom, what projects are you working on post When the Screaming Starts that you would like to tell us about? And ones that you don't want to tell us about, but you're going to tell us about anyway. Well, it may, may, be, may sound like a, a slightly antisocial uh, <laughs> answer, but in terms of directing stuff, I, I think there's a strong, I have a strong belief that you don't mention things while you're working on the, in the background. Um, you kind of need to keep that energy to yourself. You need to work on things in the background and kind of get them moving until the time is right to announce. But I can tell you uh, that I am working with the fantastic Shakespeare sisters um, on their sci-fi uh, called The Unreason, which is we've shot uh, part of the movie. It's looking fantastic. It's got an amazing cast um, and we're shooting more of that in the coming months. And also they are opening the London Independent Film Festival uh, for Much Ado, which I'm also helping on in that as well. Um, so I can say that I'm working on those two projects. There are a few things else in the background, but I can't really talk about them right now. I know exactly what you mean. It's sort of I, I used to use the previous the, uh, the opposite approach where as soon as I get an idea for a project, everybody's going to know about it. And then, 50, you know, five months later, people are like, oh, so what about that thing that you're doing? It's like, oh, no, I moved on from that. And it becomes a kind of a, it, a little piece of you dies inside every time that happens. So I fully understand. <laughs> exactly. <what you're> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, that is the case. It's not always the projects that you you mention or you think are going to happen that happen in the order that you're going to and things change very rapidly. And yeah, I, I'm, I am a firm believer in, in that, that principle. And Connor, how about yourself? Are you working on any projects that you feel comfortable enough talking about on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, similarly to Dom, you know, there's, there's, there's loads of projects that are in various stages of development. But, you know, until you've kind of got that green light and it's, it's moving full steam ahead, it's not really worth, worth mentioning at this stage. But yeah, plenty going on in the background. Um, I've just worked on a short film, actually, as a producer, um, directed by Yesna Tor, who played Jack in When the Screamer Starts. And he's also just been in The Witcher and Young Warlander. Um, and we, yeah, it's an amazing story. And I've just gravitated towards it 
um it's very very personal to the director i won't say too much just yet because it's um you know it's his baby and he hasn't spoken publicly about it just yet um we have an amazing cast yeah I, again i should probably leave that to him to discuss because no one knows about this project yet but we have some hugely talented upcoming actors in this film and they've done such a phenomenal job we're just in post-production at the moment um so yeah moving on to sound design music grade that kind of that kind of part of the process so yeah very excited about that and um yeah hoping to get a project off the ground to direct very soon yeah we can reach out to him and see if he's willing to come on the show and talk about his short film project excellent so absolutely so we know when the screaming uh, when the screaming starts is going to be at the London in Independent Film Festival uh, on the 10th of uh, April 2022 at Genesis Cinema it's closing out the Independent Film Festival uh, have you had any news on when it's going to go on wider distribution yet or are you still keeping that under wraps we can't announce anything right now but we are certainly talking to some of the major territories and we should have UK and American deals to announce fairly soon. Fantastic, fantastic. As soon as that happens, let us know. We're going to push as many people to the Independent Film Festival as, as we can so they can go and watch it, give you as much support. And then when it comes out, uh, either in cinemas or on, on demand, we're going to be flocking to go and watch it and give it as much of a boost as possible. Dom and Amazing. Connor, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Wish you all the best with When the Screaming Starts. Cheers, guys. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have just finished having wonderful conversations with some of our favorite filmmakers. First of all, the Shakespeare sisters, Anna and Anna Elizabeth Smith. No, Anna Elizabeth Smith. Anna Elizabeth <laughs> Shakespeare and Hilary Shakespeare. And Emma Beth Jones, the actress who played Beatrice in their film, Much Ado as well as Dom Lenoir, the producer, and Connor Buru, the director of When the Screaming Starts. Those are amazing uh, films that just wonderful, just wonderful filmmakers doing their thing, making me feel really jealous that I am not on set with them as well. But one day, one of these days, it'll happen. Oh, just want to throw a quick apology. Jeez, I know those of you who might be very sensitive when it comes to sound may have been hearing clicks and and clacks and sounds and creaks and whatnot it's the it's the hazard of doing a show via zoom i mean i appreciate that zoom has blown up because of the pandemic um but i really really can't wait for us to be back in the studio where we can get some crisp sound from resonance 104.4 fm uh, and, uh, and and yeah, and I, I love being in the studio as well with people because you're face to face, you're having those conversations with them. When you ask them questions that make them feel awkward, you can sense the mood change in the air. And I miss all that. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for the studio to be back open so we can go back in. Um, so just just before we wrap up for today, I just I want to ask producer Dave, have you have you heard the news of the Peacemaker TV series. I have a little bit, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it because um, he was one of the, uh, let's say, breakout stars of The Suicide Squad, wasn't he? Yes, and I'll have you, I'll, I'll, I'll have you know that it is currently on Sky Max. 
So it was on HBO Max um, in America. And I was I was watching people post with massive envy, just thinking, when is it coming to the UK? When is it coming to the UK? Nobody could tell when it was coming to the UK. And then they finished it, and then there were posts about, oh, the finale of, of, of Peacemaker. And I was like, oh, it's, this is Peacemaker by uh, James Gunn, uh, starring John Cena. And I was like, oh, I, I, I can't wait for it to come. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just dropped on my TV. Peacemaker, now on your TV from Sky Max. And guess what? I am binge watching the entire thing. I'm currently halfway through the, the season. It, I literally started last night and I am on episode seven. There are about 25 minutes per episode. So, and it is just, it is fun. It just, it, it just you saw what he was like in the Suicide Squad. He's the main character. He has a team surrounding him. It's not, it's not a spoiler to say, I mean, because actually, yeah, because, it doesn't matter. You know there's a TV series about Peacemaker. It's set after the events of the Suicide Squad. Um, and he's basically being drafted back into service by Amanda Waller. And her, she's put a team around him, including two people from the movie uh, and a couple of extra people as well. Uh, and they basically, I won't say what the mission is because it's you should go and watch it. Um, they do the, the, the beginning of the first episode, they do a quick like previously on the Suicide Squad. And you see the, you see a rundown of what happened in Suicide Squad leading right to the end to one of the pivotal lines in Suicide Squad um, where and I'm not going to say what happens, but a certain person says something to him about his name. And it's it, it's it, and that becomes the major theme of the show which is because his, his famous line, which is in the, um, in the trailer for Suicide Squad or the Suicide Squad is, I believe in peace and I, 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 I will do anything to, uh, to achieve peace. And, and, and so, you know, I, I love peace. So something along the lines of, I love peace so much. I, I don't care how many men, women and children I have to kill to get it. Something along those lines. So that, that character, and then that line that is said towards the end of Suicide Squad, then defining pretty much his character. You get to see him in this. And it is, oh man, it, it, was, it was like this show was made for me. I, I love what James Gunn does with Guardians of the Galaxy and with the Suicide Squad. And now with this, his, um, his sensibilities basically just live inside my head and my heart. Uh, so much so it's like the, the, there's the opening the the um what is it the title you know the title sequence for the for the film not for the film sorry for the TV series I'm not going to tell you what it is but you know how when you're watching a title sequence and you watch it you you, know, you watch it for the first episode and every time it comes up on next ep, you know next episode you just skip past it every time I don't I can't still watch it. Oh, because it's just mesmerizing. And I'm not going to explain it because I want people to watch it and I want people to see what I'm talking about. And if you get the chance, message us on you know either Instagram, Shoot the Breeze Show, or on Twitter at STB underscore Resonance FM and tell us what you think. Just, just of, the, of, of the title sequence, right? Just tell us what you think. When it happens the first time, it just, it, 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 it took, it was like, it took me, it, it took me a minute to, 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 to see is this part of the 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 show or is 
Oh no, it's okay. It's just a it's a title sequence. It, that that's what it is. And then it finished, and I was like, that, that was that was something. And then the next episode, and I was like, okay, no, that was just obviously because of the pilot. And then they did it in the second episode and the third episode, and I was like, and I'm I'm here for it every day. Um, it's a twenty five it's twenty five minute episodes. I think there are, if I'm not mistaken, I'm just gonna do a quick check. Um, and it, it there are. Oof, there are eight episodes. I'm 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 currently on episode six. Um, I've just started episode six. And by the end, oh, I, I said, oh wow. I thought they were wow, that's how it felt. It felt so quick. I've had a look at it. They are actually 55-minute episodes. I know they have like a little bit of a break, you know, like commercial break in the middle. So and the commercial breaks are very quick, let's say about two minutes each. So would say it is roughly 45 minutes per episode, but it is so good that it feels like it's 20 minutes per episode. It, the, 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 it finishes and I'm like, I want more. I want to inject more into my system. I'm, I really, really like Peacemaker. I, I, yes, I know. And I'll, I'll be honest. I, I loved the Suicide Squad. I'm a biased um observer so you know unreliable narrator i believe is what they what, what the expression is. Um, <laughs> i was always i was always gonna i was always gonna love peacemaker um it checked all the boxes for me i am not disappointed it's not if you, if you turn around and say oh so is this now your favorite tv show of all time no it's not my favorite tv show of all time firefly still occupies that spot there aren't there, there no other show has come even close to knocking that show off of its perch. It is, you know, The Wire is fully blocking second position. And then maybe Breaking Bad tends to cover the third spot and whatnot. But Firefly reserves that spot. Peacemaker does not come anywhere near close to those ones, but it's still a great fun show. I will happily watch this, finish it, give it a couple of weeks, go back and watch it again. It is John Cena is John Cena is I mean, there was a time when John Cena was was, you know, he was a meme all over the place where that music was coming out. And and I, I was like, I never used to watch wrestling when he was in. I used to watch wrestling ages ago. I didn't watch it when he was there. So when he blew up and, you know, I was like, I, I don't I don't know who he is. I don't care for him. Um, and then I saw him in the amy schumer film that she did i can't remember the name and i thought he was hilarious i was like wow for for a wrestler he's actually quite funny and then i saw him in a tina fey film and i was like okay he's really really funny he's really good and then the more i kept seeing him pop up in different things i kept on thinking wow this guy is this guy's gonna be big he's fantastic and then for me suicide squad he just crushed it right the Suicide Squad, he crushed it as Peacemaker. And now he's got his own TV show. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. Eight episodes. I'm on episode six. I will tell you how it, I will tell you what I feel after it ends. Um, but yeah, it's on Sky Max at the moment. You can watch all the episodes on Sky Max. It's there. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank everybody for having listened to us. Again, I ramble constantly with producer Dave waving his finger in the air, telling me to hurry up and say my goodbyes and whatnot. I want to thank you for allowing me to do this. I want to thank Resonance FM for not listening to our show so that, you know, they don't take us off the air. 
How to thank producer Dave for taking the effort to produce this show as best as he can and keep me on track whenever he can. It's such a, it's a terrible job. I would not wish it on anyone. Unfortunately, he has a job. So that's what he has to do. So I want to take this opportunity to say thank you all very much for listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. Say thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Go and watch Peacemaker now. Oh, season two, season two, season two. Bye. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs>